Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fallis, and my guest today is Jason De Leon. Dr. Jason De Leon is an anthropologist with research interests in theories of violence, materiality, Latin American migration, photoethnography, forensic science, and archaeology of the contemporary. He directs the Undocumented Migrant Project, a long-term study of clandestine border crossings that uses a combination of ethnography, archaeology, visual and forensic approaches to understanding this phenomenon in a variety of geographic contexts, including the Sonora Desert of southern Arizona, northern Mexican border towns, and the southern Mexico-Guatemala border. Within the Undocumented Migration Project, Hostile Terrain 94, a participatory art project was formed. The exhibition is composed of about 3,200 handwritten toe tags that represent migrants who have died trying to cross the Sonora Desert of Arizona between the mid-1990s and 2019. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thank you for having me. Tell me about what you do as an anthropologist and a scholar with many interests, including migration, violence, and photoethnography. Well, I think... Um You know, when people ask me what what a typical day looks like, um, it's well, I usually say it's it's a lot of answering emails. Um, <laughs> but you know, when when people ask about the about the research, um, it really depends on the sort of almost like the day of the week. Um, you know, some days the work involves a lot of hiking in the Arizona desert, looking for places where migrants have slept, camped, mm, changed yeah. clothes. Um, you know, other times it's hours and hours spent in migrant shelters conducting interviews with people who have just been deported or people who are getting ready to cross. Um, for the last probably five years, I've been involved in a, a project trying to understand the day-to-day -day experiences of uh, smugglers from Honduras who are moving migrants across the length of Mexico. So hanging out mm. in migrant, migrant safe houses, interviewing folks, um, photographing their, their daily lives. Um, and so, you know, because of the mixed methods that the undocumented immigration project uses, uh, it really just depends on, um, you know, what we're doing at the moment to, uh, you know, for, in terms of what the, what the, the day-to-day -day is going to look like. Right. Right. Uh, the work and research you conduct tells a story, one that is difficult to hear and to swallow. What story or stories are you most interested in telling? You know, I think I'm, I'm most interested in telling stories that people can connect with on a, on an individual or, or personal level. Um, you know, I, I don't consider to be my, to, to be a person who, you know, writes migration stories. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to write stories about people who just happen to be migrating. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the goal for me is for someone who has never had to migrate, who has never thought about or had to face um, the issues that, that migrants face, Can I tell them a story about pe people that I've come to know that will connect with them on a, on a personal level and encourage them to think about, um, you know, migrants as as people. Right. But, you know, at the same time, I, I'm also interested in telling different kinds of stories about a process that I think 
people believe they already know quite a bit about. Um, and so trying to tell nuanced, interesting stories about the migration experience that don't just kind of repeat the, the stereotypical tropes about, you know, the, um, the heroic migrant, you know, kind of narrative, you know, the mm-hmm. good, guy, good guy, bad guy kind of stuff. I mean, I really want people to understand that migration is a very gray uh, area and there's lots of different stories, I think, that, um, that we just haven't heard. I mean, we, we, we tend to hear the, the really um, simplistic ones. And so I'm always looking for, for more complicated ones in hopes that it can open up people's thinking about this issue in, in new kinds of ways. Right, right. Um, how did the Undocumented Migration Project get started? What sparked your interest in this project? Well, you know, I went to graduate school to become an archaeologist. Uh, I had been very interested in working in Mexico. I had been working in Mexico both as an, as an undergraduate and then as, a, as an early career uh, graduate student, looking at very ancient kinds of things. So, you know, my, my dissertation is on... Um, a collection of ancient stone tools from a, a pre-Columbian site called San Lorenzo mm. that's in lowland Veracruz. Uh, you know, so I was on this trajectory to um, to become a kind of very traditional archaeologist. And what ended up happening was along the way, as I started to do field work in Mexico, I got to know a lot of people, women and men who were um, working class folks who were digging ditches with archaeologists who were either getting ready to migrate or who had previously migrated and had, you know, very difficult, um, traumatic kinds of experiences trying to make, trying to make ends meet. And it was during the course of the field work and spending time with, with people in excavation units and, and hearing their stories mm-hmm. that I got more and more interested in, in migration and less interested in, um, you know, ancient, ancient stone tools. And so mm-hmm. by the time I started writing my, my dissertation, I already knew that I didn't want to be doing that anymore, that I wanted to be <laughs> doing work on, on, on migration issues. Um, on people, and, connecting yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, but, but it was kind of a slow build because I was on this trajectory, you know, and I had to, to become an archaeologist. And, um, you know, I was working on projects, writing papers, attending conferences. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in the back of my mind, I was thinking about these, these other issues that were pretty far removed from the things that I had been trained to, to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I was... I was um, now that I've got all this time at home um, <laughs> under these current conditions. I think I've been. Um, I think, like a lot of people, I have been struggling to do you know actual work. And people who say like, "Oh, my you know my, my productivity right now is is so up now that I'm at home." And I'm like, hey, "No, I'm with you, Jason." <laughs> I'm like, "There's like I can barely keep it together." You know, how am I going to sit down and start thinking about you know a, a book project or or you know or sort of research? Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to keep myself busy with other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is so I was in a band and um, I've been in, in bands for for many many years since, mm-hmm. since I was a teenager. And I was in a band in graduate school called the Wilcox Hotel. And, you know, we, we put out a couple of albums in the, in the mid 2000s. Uh-huh. And I've been going through footage of, um, uh, we did a, a Mexico tour in 2006. Hmm. Um, and, and we did a US, a full US tour in 2008. And I've been going through a lot of the video footage and digitizing stuff and been watching old recordings. And it's clear, you know, at that time, I'm an archeologist, I'm doing my dissertation, but I'm also writing a lot of songs about migration hmm. about the US Mexico border about hmm. smugglers and so i can kind of see this stuff percolating in the hmm. background as i'm you know trying to finish this dissertation and then you know and then suddenly those kind of worlds collide um 
you know, post dissertation where where all these things that I had been interested in and, and writing about in other arenas now then come to, to dominate my, uh, my 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 research as well. So it was mm-hmm. a kind of this, you know, it was I was thinking about it a lot, but and there were things that were popping up in different places that were signaling that I was about to make a big shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it definitely took me many many years of trying to figure out, you know, could I make this jump from archaeology to to migration? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's actually a story that many of our undergraduate students need to hear as they, <laughs> I deal with a lot, you know, I teach primarily undergraduate students and some of them are at the, you know, are graduating in this, this semester or, or, or within a year of graduating and they're like, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm not sure that I chose the right major, you know, and this is, is this moment where like, oh my gosh, did I make the, the wrong decision? And here you are at the end of your dissertation and shifting um, research, you know, at, at that moment. And, uh, and I think it's, I think those moments um, happen when you're young or when you're old, older and, um, and it's okay. And, you know, and that, and, and, and then that becomes your passion and then you can, you can, you can move forward and, and investigating, you know, that. And so I try to encourage my students, you know, that's, it's not over. Like you, there's still like, you can do a master's on something that spark your interest towards the end of your undergraduate degree and then do that. Right. Um, so, um, so it's good. It's good to hear your, your story. Well, you know, it's funny. One, one of the things I tell undergrads, you know, I, I get asked a lot, like, you know, how do you find your passion? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, you know, I was very sad. My my class, I was teaching this class this past winter quarter called the Anthropology of LA, and it was the first time I taught a, a big class in Los Angeles. And I haven't, you know, I grew up here. I went to UCLA as an undergrad, mm. um, and I'm teaching now in this auditorium where I used to sit in the in the in the mm. crowd. You know, and I was a terrible student. I was really bad. I mean, I used to tell students like I used to, I used to sit in your seat and I was so hungover. I barely made it to <laughs> class. I failed this class, you know, so many times. And so I just felt really privileged and honored to be back in that room in a different mm-hmm. kind of role and trying to talk to students about, you know, my own sort of personal journey. Right. And it was, it was very sad at the end of the, the, I didn't get to say really goodbye to the students because we ended up, right. you know, I canceled the final and just said, I gave everybody an A on the final was like, cause it, we, they canceled class the day before our final was supposed to happen. Oh. I was like, there's no way that I'm going to ask you all 150 of you to take a digital online, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a lot of my students don't even have internet at home. Right. So, right. Um, but we, so I didn't really get to say goodbye to them in person, but we had like the, the, the day before I do an open kind of thing with them. I said, okay, I, um, I've been talking all quarter. I've been bringing in a lot of anthropologists who I was interviewing in front of them. And then now mm-hmm. I just said, okay, you've got an hour and 20 minutes with me. You can ask me whatever, whatever you want. Um, and it was That's just fun. It, <laughs> that sounds you know, fun it, for me. <laughs> it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed talking to them and, but you know, a lot of the questions that they were asking me were like, I'm getting ready to graduate. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do next? You know, how do you find your, your, your passion kind of thing? And, you know, I, I told them, I said, you, it's okay to fail. I've failed at so many things. Um, and I don't regret any of those failures because I, I know that those failures made me a kind of better person and mm. helped me to, to find my, you know, my path. Uh, you know, I'm a failed musician. That was like, you know, <laughs> if, if I had my, my choice, I would have been a rock star. I just, it just didn't work out. But, mm-hmm. um, but I don't regret, you know, all of that time that I spent, you know, doing that. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I try to drive home to the students, as I say, like when I was growing up, the, one of the things that my mom would say to me was like, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. 
as long as you're happy. Mm. You want, you know, find a job that makes you happy because most people, you know, do not like the work that they do. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, that really stuck with me. Like, you know, I think I, I never wanted to have a job that I hated. I just felt like life was too short for that. And, um, mm. and so I just told students, like, you just got to pursue those things. And, um, and it's a complicated, you know, it, it, it takes twists and turns and, um, and I don't have it figured out. I mean, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. And, um, <laughs> and I haven't known what I was going to do next for most of my life. And, um, that's, you know, that's a scary thing, but it's also for me really, you know, part of the adventure. And I think, you know, in terms of like research, um, I keep jumping ship to new kinds of things and trying to force myself to, to take on new projects that are out of my, my wheelhouse, partly because I want to learn new things and I want to mm-hmm. be, and I want, I really want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, you know, I, I tell the students, like, just find something that you love and try and do it. And if it doesn't work out, um, at least you'll never regret that you didn't try to do that thing and, and, right. and, and have this remorse. Like, you know, I really wish I had pursued this thing um, uh, because I feel like that's worse than, than actual failure. Exactly. That's, you know, I tell my students, the students uh, that about, um, cause they, sometimes they ask me, Oh, Dr. Fallis, you're, you're involved in this and that, and you're everywhere. <laughs> and I also do service learning. So, you know, so I'm active with the, with the community, specifically the Latino community. And I tell them that I'm very, I'm always curious and, and I like to learn and I'm always learning and, and, and they teach me every semester, every class, even though I've taught, I, you know, I've taught a class for, for many years, um, I learn new things and those things inspire new things, you know, and then I, I go pursue that as well. So, um, so there's always an opportunity to, to grow and to learn. And, um, and so, you know, it's good, it's good to hear that from other people as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Jason, um, a few years ago, I read an article and I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, from a volunteer forensic anthropologist working with the Truth Commission in El Salvador about El Mozote massacre. The author described her physical and emotional reaction to finding each bone, identifying them, counting, and documenting uh, what she found. In all, it brought a perspective nothing else could compare to that is touching something that was. Um, so I'm very interested in this exhibit that you have, uh, Hostile Terrain 94, which refers to the impact of the prevention through deterrence strategy from the U.S. Border Patrol that has resulted in over 3,200 deaths. Can you say more about this exhibit and the public's reaction to it? Uh, what is the impact of something like this being shown across the U.S.? And, and I want to also mention that you know, before before we suddenly uh, went virtual and this exhibit was, uh, we were going to host this exhibit here um, at Ohio State. Um, I was going to have one of my classes fill out uh, fill out those tags, and I and I talked to them briefly. You know, because we talk about um, immigration um, and we talk about immigrants and undocumented immigrants and so on. And I and I told them about. Um, and they also listen to oral history, um, uh, you know, first person account of life stories. And, and I tell them, you know, that what this project, what we were going to do will bring a different perspective, like, like the actual writing down names, writing down data about a person that, that died, that was found dead in the desert brings a new perspective. Um, 
hope, you know, and, and so I was talking to them about what we were about to do. And then uh, sadly, we, we were not able to do it this semester, um, but hopefully in the fall. Um, so yeah, so I just, you know, have those questions for you. Um, what has been the reaction? What is the impact of something like this um, being shown in different places across the U.S.? Yeah, well, you know, it's um, it's uh, it's been an evolving kind of project, and it's one that, um, like most things in my life, was uh, was not well planned. It just sort of came to me in a dream, and then. Um, my wife jokes that if I have some cockamamie idea, um, there's like a 36 hour window. I'm still, t- <laughs> I'm still talking about it after 36 hours that it's probably, then it's probably going to happen. But <laughs> if, if it dies within a day, you know, it was, um, you know, it, it, it's got a short sort of shelf life. Um, and this exhibition was very much something that, um, sort of came out of the blue. I had been involved in various exhibition work since, since about 2013. Um, we had a big show that ran for several years called state of exception that closed in 2017. And when it closed, I had been very interested in continuing the exhibition work, but I wanted to find something that was more portable. That was a show that involved a lot of logistics. Um, you know, it was a, a wall of a thousand backpacks that had to be shipped and installed. Mm-hmm. Um, is incredibly costly. The backpacks are fragile, right. that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I was trying to come up with, with, with some other things that, that would be, not as um, um, as difficult to to put up, and we had we, we had been asked to put together a show in the fall of 2018 for uh, a group a group exhibition in Portland, Maine, um, with about migrants and some migrant artists who people who were working on stuff. And so we were asked to put together um, uh, a show for that. And one of the pieces in that show that we did was a, a wall graphic of um, 3,200 red dots showing the location of where human remains had been found in in, in Southern Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I had been using that graphic in, in talks. And and I found that when I would talk about to people about migrant death, and I would say, you know, thousands of people have died in Southern Arizona alone. It doesn't even include Texas or California or New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I say, it looks like this. I would show them this map and and people would, you know, there'd be this audible gasp in the room about the, the shock of that. And so I was thinking, okay, well, would that work on a, on a wall? And so we, mm. we, we, we put it up. It was on, it was on, um, as part of the show. And I really found that, that the wall graphic wasn't really conveying the, the, the gravity of the situation. People were, maybe they could understand that the, the dots represented death, but they really weren't getting a sense of like, no, those are people who have lost their lives. And this is a horrible, horrible thing. And so the follow-up to that show, that show ran in the fall of 2018. Um, and we had a, a, a second version that was about to be installed in, um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, at Franklin and Marshall College, mm. and so I was like, okay, we're not going to do the red dot map. Um, what if we printed toe tags, mm. orange ones for unidentified bodies, which is about twelve hundred, and, and Manila for people who have been identified? And what if we fill out all of these, all the information by hand, and then make a map with those things? Right. And, and so we started doing that, and my students started doing that, filling out tags, and immediately the students in my lab were like this is incredibly difficult and challenging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, the labor that, that, that it takes to fill out these tags is really emotionally taxing. Right. It makes you think about this in a whole kind of other way. And as they were telling me this, it's probably around Thanksgiving. You know, I woke up and I was like, wait, what if instead of making an exhibition where we, we build this wall of, of toe tags, um, what if we were to ask people 
to do it to, to collaborate with us and to fill out the tags um, for their community and to kind of bear witness and, and and participants then would kind of breathe life into these toe tags and make these installations themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so I, I got this idea, it, it sort of passed the 36 hour test. Um, I built a little like crappy website in early January of 2019, put out a, a call on Facebook and Twitter. It said, hey, I'm working on this exhibition. It's about migrant deaths. It's fully collaborative. Mm. Um, it's really cheap to install. We'll subsidize it if you can't afford to do it. Um, and we want to put it in, in 94 locations in, mm. um, to, to represent the year that this policy, Prevention Through Deterrence, started. Right. And immediately we had about 60, mm. 60 people who were signed on. And so we said, okay, we'll go up to 150 because there's going to be a lot more demand. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed. It went from this idea to you know 130 plus shows on six continents. Wow. Um, but all that happened really within, um, you know, w within a year. I mean, mm. we, we started in, in January 2019 and by um, the fall of, of, of 2019, you know, we had all these hosts kind of confirmed and we were starting to build the kits. We've already shipped out more than half of the kits. Um, and we've done about six prototypes, um, you know, this, this, this past kind of year. We did, we did shows in, in Michigan, New York, Ireland, Vancouver, mm. um, Orange County, um, Philadelphia. So we've done a bunch of prototypes with with folks, and the feedback has been really great. Santa Barbara, um, you know, people have been really, you know, committed to the project, um, interested in collaborating with us and finding ways to to make it um, relevant to their communities. Um, so not just like their Latino community, but mm -hmm. you know, other immigrant communities and in, in, right. um, you know. Uh, in their in their cities and, and towns, um, so it's been really great. I mean, we really um, were have been very humbled by the participation and the, and the excitement. I mean, we just had recently um, we had Zoom global Zoom meetings with all of our partners, and just you know to be on a phone call with hundreds of people who are mm -hmm. like, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to we're going to figure this out after the quarantine is done, but we're mm -hmm. fully fully committed to putting these shows up. Um, for me, it's been a really really uh, humbling. Um, an incredible experience. Right, right. No, I mean, I can, I can just imagine. I mean, I, I see the change on 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 uh, students' perspectives when we when we read sort of historical documents or data about um, immigration or immigrants, and then when they hear, you know, people telling their stories, it brings it to another level. So my hope was, you know, and it still is for maybe the fall semester is that if we get to fill out this toe tags, that it'll bring a deeper perspective, something that you will for, sh for sure never forget, right? Uh, filling out those tags and the impact that some of these policies have um, with, with, the, with the immigrant, the, the migrant community. It, I mean, it's a, different, it's a different kind of engagement. And it was not, um, you know, it wasn't planned, obviously. It's like we were just doing it and then, we, right. and then it was like, oh, wait. Um, but, you know, I'm really interested in how can I connect with different communities um, in, in, in new ways? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so this, this project has been really um, inspiring for me to think about, okay, what, what's going to come next? What are other ways that we can bring this information out into the world mm -hmm. and, and connect with people? Um, and, you know, this is kind of me, you know, let's see what, if, let's just try it, see if it works or not, see if it fails. And if it does, what can we learn from failure? But right. if it succeeds and we'll also, you know, how can we then, um, you know, build upon that. And um, yeah, it's been a really, 
unexpected sort of turn in my career. I mean, I did not think that you know two years ago, if you told me that I would be committing hmm. 24 months to building exhibitions, I would have said you were nuts. Um, <laughs> and yet here, here right. I am. Right. And what I what I really like about the project too is that participatory. Um, nature to it, right? Uh, where you're not just providing already the tags and then people put it up on the wall with the map. You're actually asking the community to be part of it, right? And, and, and fill out those tags themselves and put them, you know, the act of even putting them on the wall or on the map um, is another step uh, to, to bringing, to recognizing that this has happened and this happening. And, and in a way, even though we're talking about people that have died, you bring humanity, you know, to, to those, to those that have suffered and, and, and not even, I mean, um, to me, when I was reading about the project, um, you know, it's, um, what seems even more uh, cruel is all the tags that are unidentified and all the families that don't know what happened to their, to their family members. Yeah, I mean, and, and one of the things that we that we're working with this exhibition, so it it will have a um, an augmented reality component, so people can scan the wall of toe tags with their cell phone, mm. and they can hear stories from people who have come through the deserts. Mm. They can hear stories about people who have lost loved ones in the deserts. Mm. Um, they can hear stories of people who whose whose family members have disappeared. Um, and for me, the the disappearance, I mean, that is a stuff that is right. Uh, you know, I've having worked with families of the missing mm-hmm. and knowing that, that there is no closure for those folks. Mm-hmm. And there are thousands of, of, of unidentified bodies. And I just think about the thousands of people who have been affected by those deaths and who may never know what happened to their loved ones. Right. You know, for me, that is the, the, the cruelest part of this, of this whole thing, right. because at least, you know, you can grieve over a, over a body. Um, mm-hmm. But we know that folks who lose, loved ones to the desert and 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 never get, recover them i mean they are in a perpetual state of mourning right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so jason you just mentioned how much this project has grown in just a year and and and, and there's there's a lot of plans you know for future exhibits and collaborations um what what other directions do you see this project taking? Um, and you talked about augmented reality. Is that something that's in place now, or is that something that's that's gonna that's part of the plan? That's almost done now. Um, mm-hmm. We are slated to op- we were slated to open in two weeks, mm-hmm. um, three weeks, um, but they've pushed that now to the end of July. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see if it opens in July or not. Um, but by then, we will have the augmented reality component that's already up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are thinking about doing a, a permanent metal version of this exhibition uh, that would reproduce tags that have been filled out from all 130 plus locations around the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would take we would take a, a selection of, of tags from different places, especially ones that have messages written on the back, which people mm-hmm. have been doing. Yeah. And then and we would cast those in um, in metal um, to make a permanent version. But then that, that would have a, an augmented reality component where you could hear the voices of people who filled out those tags in different places, mm. you know, reading aloud the, um, uh, the, the names of the dead. Mm. So we're, we're working on that. Um, we're working on a, um, on a, an, a, an additional element of this show that will focus now on detention. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, that's kind of in the works. Um, we're waiting to see what the, what, what the fall will look like, but, um, you know, this show will will go on once it closes after the 130 some odd shows close. Um, you know, there probably will be a, a, a traveling 
permanent version, uh, and then also a, an online digital version. Okay. Well, Jason, is there anything else you would like to say about this work or any future projects that you have? Um, I mean, it sounds like you have your hands full with this one, <laughs> but um, I love to hear um, about your future uh, research or, or, or projects. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, I am theoretically writing a book about smugglers mm. um, that's also um, heavy on the photography. Um, mm. So I've been doing this photo ethnography of smugglers since about 2015. And I'm working on the, I'm, I'm almost done with the book proposal. So the book will go out, the proposal will go out probably in the next month or so. And then um, we'll see if, we'll see who picks it up and then I'll just start writing. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the plan is to kind of write for the next year or so to try to finish this book. And as soon as the book is done, we will begin working on a, on an exhibition that goes with it, a photography exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably a, a separate book of photos from the project that, um, that has more kind of essays on, you know, photographic theory and, and the visual. Um, so those are, those are kind of the two big writing projects. And then, just trying to figure out what the next field work is going to look like, um, which I don't, I don't quite know yet. We've got some ideas, but everything's kind of, um, I think I'm still on the 36 hour um, stage with the, uh, with what the, the, next, <laughs> the, the dream, the, 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 the next, the next field project is going to look like. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Um, the smuggler uh, project, is that um, also, is that uh, tied to a region or um I'm mostly working with Hondurans, okay. um, young men from Honduras who are transporting um, other Honduran migrants across Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and I work with with two groups, like some basically mestizo white Hondurans and then um, Garifuna speaking mm -hmm. um, Afro Hondurans, right. who who tend to smuggle their own their own sort of people. Um, but that project spans basically from Honduras across Mexico and, and up to um, up to northern Mexico. So I, I bounce around from from Chiapas to Veracruz to Mexico City to um, Sonora, um, and then and then to Honduras as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Jason, thank you so much for this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.